Good morning. So fun to be with you. Let me just thank you for your generosity as we just end our offering time and let you know that that um, end of year giving campaign that Shelley's talking about, the goal of it, the end goal, is to pay off this building. It's an amazing opportunity that we have. We've been seeking God for a couple of years now. What do you have next for us? Because this building, if you couldn't notice, we're running out of space. But we can't afford something in this neighborhood where we feel called to right now. And so we've just been seeking God, what do you have for us? We know that God will provide. And the first thing that we feel like God has said to us is pay off this building and then I'll give you options. Because just financially, we will remove a huge financial burden if we can pay this building off. And so that end of your giving campaign is going towards paying this building off and freeing up a whole lot of our finances so that then we have options to say where and what is next for us, God, in the coming years. So that's what that gets going towards. And again, we moved the date of paying it off from January of 2020 to June of 2020 because we want to be responsible. Our giving is flatlined a little bit and we don't want to deplete our bank account to an unhealthy place. So that's why it moved forward six months. If you have any questions, you can talk to me, any of the elders, trustees, email us, all that business. We're so grateful for you. I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, um, I've sensed you. I've felt you. I've, I've seen you this morning already. And so I've just um, asked, and I've asked with a fully expectant heart that you're going to continue speaking. That you're going to continue drawing us to the Father and the Son. That you're going to continue speaking words of life because it's what you do and we love you for it. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we say we love you. It's so good to be your sons and daughters. Jesus, it's so good to be your bride. Goodness. Thank you, Lord. It's all we can say. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the last Sunday that we're in our sermon series called The Cosmic Christ. We've been in this sermon series called The Cosmic Christ since about late September. The Cosmic Christ, thinking about how God, how Jesus, this Jesus that we talk about, that we're all kind of centered around, is way, way bigger than we've ever dreamed of. Paul, and the apostles Paul and John in the New Testament are constantly trying to get, raise our, our focus and raise our gaze to who this Jesus is, that it's not just Jesus of Nazareth who existed 2,000 years ago, but it's this Christ who spoke creation into existence, who sustains creation by his word, who all of creation was created by him, through him, in him, and for him. And I've spent a lot of time describing the meaning, what that all means. And I, I would love to go into it further, but man, it's 942 and I can't do it. But Paul is constantly trying to say, this is who Jesus is. He's bigger and better than what you think. And this morning, the, as we conclude this sermon series, The Cosmic Christ, we're going to be thinking, I'm going to be asking this question. Where is all this reality, where is all this, this whole world, where is this all heading? What are we moving towards? This world and reality that we live in, where are we going? Where are we moving towards? Good question. Now, the church has been talking about this 
quite a bit in the last four decades, I would say. I grew up, in, I, I, grew up I was born in 1978, so I, I came of age in the 80s and 90s. And the church was obsessed with where this is all going during the 70s, 80s, and 90s. If you're a child of the 90s like me, you're going to identify with a lot of the things that I'm about to share. Where is this whole thing heading? When it, starting in about 1970, there was a book that was written that transformed Christi evangelical Christian eschatology. Now, eschatology is a fancy word that people like me get to, like to say to make you think I'm smarter than I am. It just means the study of what happens in the end of all things, the end of this reality, this end of this world. And when we talk about evangelical eschatology, end times theology, we, you have to start with, in 1970, with when a man named Hal Lindsey wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. Look at that. Man, that's some terrible graphic design. The Late Great Planet Earth. Now, this is where a lot of end times doom and gloom theology began in 1970. And Hal Lindsey sold a bunch of copies of this book. As a matter of fact, the New York Times called the late great planet Earth, the number one nonfiction book of the decade. Holy moly. Hal Lindsey wrote a number of follow-up books to the late great planet Earth. They were called, one was called Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth. Praise Jesus. He wrote another follow-up book to it called 1980s, Countdown to Armageddon. In the late great planet Earth, Hal Lindsey predicted that the 1970s would be the decade of the Antichrist and that the 1980s would be the decade of the rapture. Apparently, the New York Times should have seen this as, not, as fiction rather than nonfiction. Didn't turn out. But Hal Lindsey, this book and the subsequent follow-ups sold over 40 million copies. Hal Lindsey's still alive. He's 90 years old, and this brother got rich off of some bad biblical interpretation and end times doom and gloom theology. That was in the 1970s and have influenced the 80s. And then if you're a child of the 90s like me, you remember the next big, big book series. Left Behind, right? I, 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 whenever I say that, I, have, I remember seeing this terrible video and it said, you've been left behind in this haunting, awful way. Maybe some of you know that. Left Behind series, the Left Behind series turned into a movie with one of the greatest actors of our time, Kirk Cameron. I'm making some of you mad right now. It turned into a second movie as well with another equally amazing actor. His name is Nicholas Cameron. This is fun. Another Left Behind series came out in 1995, and to date, it has sold over 80 million copies. 80 million copies. End times, doom and gloom theology sells, apparently. It's gotten a lot of people rich. If you, has anybody heard of Harold Camping? Harold Camping is the founder of this thing called Family Radio. I grew up in the evangelical church. I grew up one of the, the, the rotations that my mom listened to on, on radio on the way to school, on the way back, was family radio. And Harold Camping famously predicted that Jesus re would return. Well, first of all, he, he predicted that Jesus would return on September of 1994. Didn't happen, apparently. Then he changed his mind and said, 
he, uh, that Jesus would return and the rapture would happen on May 21st, 2011. I remember this. I remember it being in the news. May 21st, 2011, would the rapture happen, and that would be followed by five months of fire, brimstone, plagues on the earth with millions of people dying every day and would lead to the final destruction of the world on October 21st, 2011. He's just a little off. There's stories of, literally, there was a doctor who, in the lead-up to 1994, the first prediction of raptor, rapture, he... he, he basically let go his entire staff because, of course, they wouldn't be needed after the rapture happened. Ardent followers who made crazy life decisions based on really bad biblical interpretation and so-called prophecy. The fact is, is that he had millions of followers on family radio and his publications and newsletters. End times doom and gloom theology sells, friends. But I've got a question to ask. Is that an accurate and biblical theology and worldview, eschatology? I would submit to you that the evangelical movement, sorry for just a second. There we go. I would suggest, submit to you that the evangelical movement has been formed by this end times doom and gloom theology. It's the way we see the future, when I ask where is this all headed, we have something like this in our minds. And I would submit to you that this end times doom and gloom theology has warped our worldview. Let me just ask you, what have been the fruits of this end times theology, this doom and gloom, that it's all going to be burnt up? What, are, what have been the fruits of this? theology. Let's just think for a second. First, I would say what we see is uh, the, one of the fruits of this end times theology, this doom and gloom theology, is an anti antagonism towards the earth, towards God's creation. I mean, after all, if this whole thing is getting burnt up anyways, why do we have to care about it? Why do we have to, why do we have to be good stewards, do what God said in Genesis 1 and follow this mandate by God to be good stewards and care for creation? We don't have to do that if the whole thing's going to burn up anyways, do we? And so I would say this end times theology has led to indifference towards creation at best and at worst antagonism and downright hostility towards the earth. Fruits of this theology. Another, let's think of more fruits of this end times doom and gloom, it's all going to burn in hellfire theology. Another one would, I would say would be isolation. I would say this theology has led to the evangelical church to the church in general, and especially in America, isolating themselves, isolating ourselves from the rest of the world around us. See, because it's our job just to basically hunker down and get into these, these Christian bunkers waiting for the rapture to happen is kind of the attitude that I, I've seen across the church. I would say another bit of fruit from this end times doom and gloom theology has been an indifference towards injustice. Indifference toward injustice. When we see injustice and oppression and all evil things happening, we kind of have this mindset of, well, it's kind of got what's got to happen before the rapture, right? It's just kind of foretold, and so it's actually maybe it's good because it means that God's return is imminent. And so we don't 
follow Isaiah 58, which the Brens just read over their child, of breaking the yoke of oppression and in, 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 in the bond of injustice. We don't care because it's got to happen anyways. That's bad fruit. I would say this worldview has given us a, a, just a, a general feel of negativity and cynicism and skepticism towards the world around us. I would say this, this, this doom and gloom end times worldview and theology has given us a form of transactional Christianity rather than transformational. Transactional rather than transformational. See, because we see Christianity as basically a means to an end. Fire insurance. Get out of hell free card. Get, get raptured for free card. Instead of being molded into the image and likeness of this Christ that we've been created in, the like, in light of. In submitting ourselves fully before him. Being changed and transformed by him. Instead we have this We've been selling, we've been sold and we've been selling this transactional form of Christianity. Sign on the dotted line and everything's going to be great. I'd submit to you that the fruit of this end times, tribulation, doom and gloom theology is nothing but bad fruit, friends. It's tainted and it's, and it's, and it's, it's kind of rotted within us. And so here's a question. Is it true? Just an honest question. Is it true? Is that where we're all headed, right? Let's, let's think. We're gonna, here's when we ask something like that, this big question about is this end times doom and gloom, late great planet Earth, left behind business, is it true? The first place we should go always is where? Scriptures. Let's do that. Let's read in Ephesians 1. The Apostle Paul had this beautiful, Holy Spirit-inspired vision of where this is all going. Where is it all going? Now as we read, think about the cosmic Christ. Listen to Paul's picture of the Christ. This is Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I dare you to try to take this in. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I could just stop there and say, let's just for the next 15 minutes try to take that in. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You lack nothing. It's just this perception that you lack things, but in Christ you've been given everything, and you're going to spend your life, you get the privilege of spending your life just trying to grasp those spiritual blessings you've been given in Christ. It says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This is God's predestination, his desire, his desire for all people. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship in Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. It gave him pleasure and delight to save humanity through Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of, riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. This gospel is just God lavishing grace upon grace on you. It's really good news, Paul's saying. Are you just grasping this a little bit? And here we go. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Okay, 
Now, Paul gets really wordy, and it's hard to follow him sometimes, but he just said, Paul's saying, I'm about to tell you God's will for all things. Where is this all headed? With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed, brought about through Christ, to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Here it is. Where is it all going? To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. We look to the scriptures to say, where is this all going? Paul said, God's will, and that he's this good, pleasing, perfect will, and this gives him so much pleasure, is to bring unity to every single thing that exists, both in heaven and on earth, in all of the cosmos. God is bringing all things back together in Christ. Where is this all going? I don't see any doom and gloom, end times, tribulation theology here. I see Paul saying, this is going somewhere good. This is all headed towards somewhere good because, see, God in Christ, sin came to God's creation, and, and it wasn't just that God had this afterthought. No, before the foundations of the world, God planned on redeeming and renewing this whole broken world in Christ Jesus, and that his will is that all things in existence are going to be brought into unity. The unification of all things in Christ Jesus is where this whole thing is headed. Can I get just one amen? Oh my gosh. This thing isn't going to burn up. It's actually going to be unified and unity is going to be brought in Christ. God's bringing unity to everything in existence in Christ Jesus. It's headed somewhere good. Now, just in case you think I'm proof texting or you think that maybe this is just one case, and it, let's go somewhere else in the New Testament. Let's go quickly to Romans 8. Go back in your New Testament. Romans 8, starting in verse 18, Paul says this. Romans 8, we spent a summer a couple of years ago just studying one chapter of the Bible. <laughs> I want to do it again. Miss this summer in Romans. Paul says this in Romans 18. One, eight, eight, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Take that in. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will, re, will be revealed in us. Do you believe the Bible? This is good news. This should transform our suffering. For the creation, here now, check this out. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. God's saying creation, he's personifying creation here, Paul says. He's saying the creation around you is longing for new creation. He's longing for the sons of daughter and daughters of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, by the will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Creation, Paul says, is longing for something. Creation, Paul says, is longing for to be burnt up. I didn't see that in here. Creation is longing to be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
Creation is longing to be renewed. Creation is longing for new creation, for recreation. Creation is longing for liberation and freedom in Christ. That new creation is breaking forth in creation. The creation around us can feel it. We're going to sing in a few minutes a song called, and we're going to say, all creation groans for the day when you appear. And this is just based on the scriptures because Paul said that all of creation around us is longing for the freedom and liberation that comes from Christ Jesus and from the kingdom coming and bursting forth in the world. Where is all this headed? End times, doom and gloom theology doesn't really stand up when you just open the word of God, open up the scriptures. What we find is that this is heading somewhere good, friends. The unification of all things, liberation and freedom for creation, that it was in the, living the life that it was intended to live in Christ. So that's a scriptural perspective, okay? We got that? I could go on and on, but it's 10 o'clock. So here, let me ask you another question. This is a fun question that maybe, maybe you've talked about. I know I've talked about it at some dinner parties. It's a fun dorm room conversation. This is one that maybe you wrestle with. And I want you to think for a second. Don't answer this out loud. Just think for a second. Is the world getting better or worse? Is the world, this world that we live in historically, progressively getting worse and worse and worse? Or is the world progressively getting better and better and better? Now this is a fun, again, dinner table conversation that you can just debate on and on for a long time. And sociologists and and psychologists and all sorts of people study this question. And in the Western world, a vast majority of the people say, absolutely, the world is getting worse. The world's getting worse. Now, you're entitled to your opinion as you ask that to yourself. Maybe you've thought about it before. Maybe you've put some good thought into it. Maybe this is just a new thing for you. You're entitled to your opinion. But I've got to tell you, I am 100% convinced that the world is completely getting better all the time. I've, I've got, a, I've got a, a family member who, he's, he's, I would call him a historian. He, he's just brilliant. He knows history, ancient history, and try, encourages us to learn from it, which we should. And he kind of idealizes history, and it sounds like he thinks the world is getting worse and worse and worse. So I just asked him one this summer, over the summer we were talking, I said, what, is there a, portion, a period, a time period in the history of the world that you would rather raise your family than right now? And he sat there for a second, and he said, no, I'd rather, sit. I, I choose now, I would not want to go back in time. That's because we actually have, education is so much more available in the last 50 years than it's been av available in the history of the world. That's because you woman, these, my daughter, has a chance to be, be educated, which she wouldn't have had a chance to 100 years ago, let alone 1,000 or 2,000 years ago. That means that we have these families standing up here with their children. Many of those children would not have existed because they would have died in childbirth decades, centuries ago. Uh, those wives, one of those wives for sure would have died in childbirth, giving birth. We, we, we have plagues and diseases that would have wiped out entire communities 
years and years ago. Oppression was just accepted. Oppression and injustice was just rampant. We, we have had the last two decades in world history have seen the least amount of war just about ever. And this isn't just me. There's a, there's a Harvard professor who said, who, who wrote a, who's written a couple of books about this, and he said this. He said, the idea that the world is getting worse is not just a little wrong, it's wrong wrong. This is in his words in the book. It's like flat earth wrong, he said. I'm sorry if you're a flat earther. We love you. He said, around the globe, improved health care has dramatically reduced infant and maternal mortality. Children are now better fed, better educated, and less abused. Workers make more money and are injured less frequently and retire earlier. In the United States, fewer people are poor, while elsewhere in the world, and especially Asia, billions fewer live in extreme poverty, in extreme poverty designed, defined as an income of less than $1.90 per day. Billions fewer. There are now fewer victims of murder, war, rape, and genocide than ever before. Life expectancy has been, has been rising. Accidental death has been diminishing. And a lot of the reason that probably a majority of you guys said the world is getting worse when I asked that to, to answer that in your question is because of the media. The media and social media does nothing but feed us, just force feed us with negative news. All that's going wrong in the world. Check this out. This is Steven Pinker, Harvard professor, who's basing this on economi German economist Max Roser's work. He says that a truly even-handed newspaper could have run the headline that said this, number, the number of people in extreme poverty fell by 137,000 since yesterday. Newspapers could have run that the number of people in extreme poverty fell by 137,000 people since yesterday for every day for 25 years straight. Friends, statistics are telling us, and you just have to look around you and get out of this negative, cynical worldview that we've been born into to find the world, I'm convinced, is getting better and better and better and better, and this isn't because of human pr progress. Here's the goodness of it. This isn't because of human progress. I'm convinced that humanity doesn't have it in ourselves to do that. We are broken and sinful by nature, and it's a, it says it in the scriptures, and you can just see, I can see it in myself. I can see it in you. We don't have it in us, but see, this is evidence that what we talk about in the gospel, it's actually working. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. He came to bring new creation. And in his life, death, and resurrection, he changed everything for humanity. He changed everything for this universe, for the cosmos, and things are walking towards new creation. It's working. Why are we not talking about this more? This world is headed towards redemption. This world is headed towards renewal. This world is headed towards new creation. And it's not, it's, it's not our job to say, holy cow, this whole thing, the gospel's working, so I guess we can just have, grab a nice tea and watch it happen. Just watch this goodness happen. No, this is happening because the church, be, it, the church is the church. God is bringing redemption and renewal and new life to all of creation through, in Christ and through the church. Now, I've done a lot of smashing and bashing on the church these last few weeks, and I'll continue to do it because we deserve it. 
But I've got to tell you, on the other hand, we can't deny this. I don't know of any other organization in the history of the world that's done more good in the world than the church has done historically and is doing right now as we speak. For all her faults, the church is this beautiful organization that's bringing life, that's self-sacrificially giving itself. And if we continue to do this, friends, of course we're going to see the seeds of new creation spread throughout the world, new life bursting forth. It's happening. And this is the gospel. The gospel is not some turn or burn, end times doom and gloom, where you get this fire insurance card. The gospel is actually this hopeful, beautiful message that said Jesus has come and he's brought healing and life to all of creation. Would you like to be part of that? It's a more hopeful way of living, isn't it? It's just a better way of living and it's what we've been commissioned into. It's what we've been given, but we just get sucked up by this negative and cynical worldview of the world around us. You look at social media too much, and you're going to be convinced that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. The world is going to pot. You can fill in all those, all those phrases. You're going to be convinced of it if you look at social media too much. But friends, this whole thing is going somewhere good because God in Christ changed everything in his life, death, and resurrection, and it means new creation. It means that you get to be more hopeful. How do you get, how do you, how can you be negative and cynical in light of this kind of good news? Can we just repent? Can I challenge you? Can I challenge you to walk out of these doors and, and, and just start repenting of the negativity and cynicism that we've been living in as a culture? Can we be hopeful people followers of Jesus, followers of the gospel, who are, who are, can we release a new wave? I believe that God wants to release a new wave of evangelism into our world. But a new wave of evangelism that's not based on burn or turn, fire insurance theology, that's not based on fear, but that's based on hope, saying Jesus, God has turned around this world and he's bringing healing and redemption and new life. Would you like to be a part of that kind of gospel? Would, can we be released into a new wave of evangelism in this world? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. As you can tell, I could go on for a long time. But as we end this sermon series and, and punctuate it with worship, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm just going to bless you to not just listen to a sermon series, but to live in light of this cosmic Christ. So I'm going to encourage you to open your hands just as a symbol of what's going on internally. Hopefully, we can open our hearts. I bless you, friends and family, to look around you everywhere you go with new eyes. I bless you, friends and family, to see Christ everywhere. I bless you to see people differently. I bless you to have a different worldview. I bless you to see creation differently, to see this good creation that God blessed and delight in it. I bless you to do that is just a lifestyle, a habit. I bless you to walk with more hope. In Jesus' name, I bless you to be overwhelmed by peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. 
that Christ came to give you, I bless you with it now in Jesus' name. I bless you to be full of wonder and awe rather than fear and negativity. I bless you in Jesus' name to be full of wonder and awe at who this God is. I bless you to be new evangelists. I bless you into a new wave of evangelism that brings the hope and the beauty and the redemption and the healing of the gospel into your families, into your homes, into your workplaces, into your dorms, into your neighborhoods, into the world around you. I bless you to be evangelists for this gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming him as Lord of all, proclaiming the healing and life that is being unleashed on the planet Earth and in the universe because of his life, death, and resurrection that actually caused things to change. I bless you to be changed and transformed by this life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I bless you to be swept up into the story like never before because you are a part of a story of the redemption of the universe. You are a part of God's healing breaking forth in this world. And so, Jesus, we say yes and amen. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Jesus Christ. Come and bring your healing. Come and bring your peace. Come and continue doing what you're doing, bringing the world back together, setting the world to rights, judging evil, and letting healing and new life pour out from your throne into this world that is your temple. We say, come, Lord Jesus. And now we just end this time by worshiping you because I just can't help myself. If you need any prayer as we start worship, I've got a couple friends in the back who would love to pray for you. And then let's fill this place with worship of Father, Son, and Spirit.